0: friend who went to this uh you know factory and talked to this guy who just by touching this plastic piece was able to tell him what type of plastic it is like that is serious expertise you know that's intense and it's not so easy to replace that Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraschowski, and welcome to episode 56 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today's episode is a deep dive Thursday, which means that I'm not joined by a guest like I normally am, but instead, I'm going to take a deep dive into a topic or current world event that concerns the overall location independent, remote work, uh, global citizenship movement. And what I want to talk about today is actually an article that I recently read called The Impact of COVID-19 on Global Supply Chains, which was written by a fellow online business owner, Nabil Kablawi, uh, who is the CEO of Perfectus Digital, uh, which is a marketing agency through which he works with lots of e-commerce companies. And Obviously, um, COVID-19 is really impacting a lot of businesses right now, Um, some of those being e-commerce businesses because their supply chains are being uh, interrupted and and in some way affected by what is going on since so many e-commerce companies, uh, so many products are made in China. And so I checked out this article uh, and I want to say upfront. I am not an expert in any of this. I have no economics background uh, at all. However, I am very interested in this. Um, this is sort of uh, one of those topics that really uh, weaves in and out of uh, the world that I'm involved in, and, and I just think that this was a really interesting uh, article that sort of um, unpacked a lot of the things that are going on and what could happen, how could it affect the um, our world going forward and our sort of economics going forward. And um, Nabil actually did a phenomenal job interviewing lots of experts in this field. So um, I think that this article is really well done and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And so the way I'm going to go forward is I'm not going to read this article. Uh, I'm going to link it up in the show notes so you can go and check it out yourself. Um, what I'm going to do is just kind of like summarize it and add in uh, some of my own thoughts on what uh, Nabil wrote in this. Uh, and yeah, so essentially the article, like I said, it's called Impact of COVID-19 on Global Supply Chains. And it's broken up into four parts. Um, the first one Called Dominance of China in Pre COVID, in a pre COVID and pre Trump world. And this was a really interesting uh, kind of like setting the scene of what the world looked like before COVID 19. And essentially, we all know China is a huge manufacturer of lots of different things in the world. Uh, It's, I mean, the main manufacturing hub of the world. And it really started in the, I believe, 1980s and 1990s more so, uh, where companies started shifting their production to China. Uh, because it was a place where manufacturing was really cheap. Um, The labor was really, really low. And also, uh, China has tons and tons of resources. So it was a really easy place to manufacture um, lots of products. And what ended up happening is that when these big multinational corporations started shifting their manufacturing over to China, many other countries had to do the same in order to, or many other companies, had to do the same in order to compete. So what has happened since you know the 1990s, you know over the last three decades or so, is that so much manufacturing has been done in China that it has developed China as a whole has developed immense expertise on manufacturing, um, lots of different products, um, specifically. I remember I was speaking with a friend of mine who does um, a lot of e-commerce stuff um, and he has lots of, you know, he gets a lot of his manufacturing done in China and he was telling me that when he was on a trip to China touring one of the factories that makes this product, he said that he handed a piece of his competitor's items to one of the guys who kind of like managed this uh, factory and this guy just by touching this product could tell you what type of plastic it was made out of. So this is the sort of expertise that we're talking about is that these guys are literally working with this stuff all the time and they just have, they're super, super good at what they do, which makes it, uh, you know, very efficient and very, very cheap, but it also makes it really difficult for, uh, things to be produced elsewhere. Um, And so that's kind of where we stood before all of this happened. Um, However, uh, and this won't get political, however, obviously politics do play a part in this. What ended up happening a few years ago is that obviously Donald Trump was elected as a president of the U.S. And one of the things that, you know... You know his supporters have been very happy about, and his opposition hasn't been so happy about, are these trade wars that have been um, that have been launched between the U.S. and China. And essentially, what's happening is the U.S. is putting tariffs on lots of things produced in China, and then there was this like uh, back and forth where China was actually putting on tariffs on U.S. stuff in China. So there was this constant back and forth that was constantly escalating. And the interesting thing is that that stress created by the, the the trade war forced some companies to try and figure out their manufacturing. Um, and you know those tariffs made their products more more expensive, made them more expensive to produce. So they had to seek alternate uh, places to produce those. And obviously the whole idea of putting these tariffs on China was that, hey, some of this manufacturing is getting done in China. We're going to make it more difficult uh, for those companies uh, to do that and hopefully force them to come back to the U.S. to ma- to manufacture those products, you know, uh, bring the jobs home, so to say. However, the, uh, the thing with that is that there is such a huge difference in the cost of labor between the US and China. So if you think that your iPhone, which is you know produced in China uh, is expensive right now, imagine how expensive that product would be that iPhone would be if it was made in the US. I mean it would be like so much more expensive. I don't know the math on it, but it wouldn't be feasible as a product that you know people are buying every couple of years. And so what these companies had to do is, you know, some of them sure might have come back to the U.S. for the ones that it made sense, but a lot of countries actually, a lot of companies, I'm going to keep messing up countries and companies, I have a feeling (laughs) on this podcast, but lots of companies started looking at other countries to essentially do their manufacturing in. So, you know, some of the big winners that have been talked about, some of the big countries that were in a good position to um, kind of take up the reins that china kind of dropped like the 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 companies that had to move away from china ended up going to countries like india or vietnam or mexico is one that has been um really talked about a lot as a potential large uh manufacturer um if china didn't really work out for everyone. So, uh, for example, India has been doing a really good job recently of producing um, cell phones. They've been really kind of like, I mean, if you want to call it a niche, you know, but they they've kind of become really good at, at producing cell phones. Vietnam, uh, on the other hand, has been uh, has developed. Uh, phenomenal expertise at textiles. Um, And that's something uh, I believe Nike in like the 80s actually moved to Vietnam. And so uh, Nike has so much production that Vietnam has been able to really establish um, lots of expertise in that field. So lots of companies were able to find different countries uh, to go to for their manufacturing because of these trade wars. And interesting enough, Now that COVID 19 kind of came in and completely shut down uh, a lot of the global supply chains uh, because so much was being produced in China. Um, So China got hit first, a lot of things got shut down. Uh, Now it's obviously a a global thing and there's not a lot of this, uh, you know, global movement between countries. But the trade wars, in a weird way, almost helped prepare global, like, supply chain managers for what's happening right now, because they were already starting to think, hey, there are these tariffs going on, China is you know, maybe not becoming as easy of a choice for us, where else can we do things? And so this is kind of what the second part of this article talks about, is how the trade war really primed the world uh, for a major reshuffling um, of global manufacturing. So I thought that was really interesting um, you know whether you are a you know supporter of the current administration or not. Um, in this case, those trade wars that were established actually kind of almost helped prepare uh, the global supply chains for what is happening right now. And the third part in this article is called uh, "COVID as a catalyst for shifts in global supply chains," and what well, this is essentially. Talking about is that the coronavirus essentially exposed a ton of these weak points uh, in our modern supply chain. Uh, for example, there's a quote um, in the article that go that says uh, the Hubei province of China, which by the way is where uh, Wuhan is located, is twenty percent of global manufacturing originates from that province. So when kind of that, you know, the COVID-19, that wasn't the exact quote. I obviously kind of fumbled it a little bit, but the quote says, um, the Hubei province of China, where 20% of global manufacturing originates grinded to a halt, causing supply chain bottlenecks all around the globe. So that's where Wuhan is located. So you have this one place where 20% of global manufacturing happens and it gets completely locked down. That is clearly going to have ripple effects throughout the world economies. And the really interesting thing here um, that you know we almost kind of lucked out on as a world is that when all of this happened, a lot of people in China were celebrating the Lunar New Year. So during this period of time, a lot of these Chinese um, um, you know, factories and stuff like that actually shut down or at least slowed down a lot because people go home uh, to be with their families for this Lunar New Year. And COVID-19 broke out during this period. It broke out during a period when a lot of these factories were already shut down or running on a much slower speed. So the impact in many ways, a lot of the uh, experts in this article kind of mentioned that a lot of, you know, like this could have been way worse had it happened in the middle of the year when China was completely unprepared for this happening. Um, so that's a really interesting thing that I hadn't thought about before that essentially we almost got lucky that this happened during this time of the year, during the beginning of the year when China is celebrating the Lunar New Year, because it could have been so much worse. Uh, you know, they had already prepared for a lot of the factories not working during that period of time. That's something that they had um, already assumed and sort of like accounted for, but had it been... In the middle of the year, when nobody was prepared for uh, it, could have been you know it could have been terrible for the uh, global economies. And so, essentially, what this part of the article talks about is really how this current pandemic has shown a lot of bottlenecks, a lot of issues in the current um, supply chains. For example, one of the things they talk about is that many pharmaceutical companies are actually dependent on active ingredients produced in China because the supply the way the supply chain works and is described is described in this article is that it's not like you have one supplier right so you may be let's say that you are producing a cup for example right and you might be working with one supplier who you know makes those cups for you but that supplier has a supplier that maybe makes a certain part of the cup. And then maybe that supplier has another supplier who actually gets them the raw materials. So it's that's why it's, you know, a supply chain, right? So there's lots of these, you know, different steps uh in the way that it goes from a raw material to the product that I'm enjoying now on my desk. And so essentially a lot of these pharmaceutical companies are actually either a producing these you know medicines in China, and then bring them over to the U.S. or to Europe, or they're getting a lot of their um, ingredients from China, and that is clearly a big issue if something like this happens. Because hey, everything stops. You know, all production stops. You can't ship things. You can't you know ship things around the world. What happens? We run out of medicine, right? So that's something that I think. And in in this article, they also talk about. That's a that's a big issue because, unfortunately, China is where a lot of these things are uh, occurring at. A lot of these sort of pandemics are starting. This one being the worst, obviously. But we had SARS and MERS, and they all originate originated from China because of the wet markets that they have there. And so the interesting thing here is, you know, is it wise to continue to uh, sort of rely on Chinese manufacturing for our medicines. And I think that this is, you know, this wasn't in the article, but I wonder if in the future, once kind of like COVID-19 settles out and stuff like that, governments will get together, um, and almost pass laws saying that either all, or at least some percentage of, um, medical supplies or medicines, uh, actual medicines have to be produced domestically in order to, uh, Try to kind of mitigate this and not be so reliant on other countries, which even as somebody who is a big supporter of globalization and in a global economy, I think that's not a bad idea, right? You don't want to um, be fully reliant on um, other parts of the world to, you know, get these sort of necessities made and and available to your citizens. Um, And... Really this section talks about also like, what is the future of the global market, kind of the global supply chain going to look like uh, after this. And interestingly, there are two different schools of thought that are outlined in this article. on experts and kind of like what they think is going to happen and the first one is that china is going to fall hard from economic dominance you know essentially we've been listening to um we've been hearing about how powerful china has become economically um however you know this could cause a, a huge issue to that because a lot of people are seeing you know kind of the problems with manufacturing a lot of your things in china but the other school of thought is that things will kind of return more or less to normal after this. Um, and so that's really interesting that it's it's almost like two very dramatic options. You know, there isn't like one, you know, one option that's kind of in the middle. Um, the, the first one is, you know, this is kind of, this isn't in the article or anything like that, but kind of my personal opinions, you know, I think China will definitely kind of lose some steam because, if anything, and this is kind of like something that's discussed later on in the article, um, a lot of companies I think are going to start to realize that it's not wise to be so dependent um, on China. So, even though it's very common sense in terms of you know uh, supply chains that you should be diversified, right? So you shouldn't be getting everything from one factory, one supplier, for example, but what happens if all of your suppliers, all of the factories that create your product are in the same area, right? So it's almost like you're diversified, but you're really not from a global perspective. And so this is where issues arise with kind of these, um, natural, uh, phenomenon that can happen. Like you can have earthquakes or tsunamis or, um, pandemics like this. So, you know, if it wasn't a pandemic, imagine that, you know, uh, the Hubei province got hit by an earthquake. I don't know if they're on a fault line or anything like that, but something similar could happen, right? Because if all of your production was getting done in this one province, even if it was in different factories and stuff like that, um, it would still be an issue. And so I think a lot of these large companies are going to, Kind of realize that and maybe hopefully learn their lesson and try to diversify um they may also you know come back closer to the u.s um, because like i said you know mexico for example is a country that's been really kind of ramping up and a lot of people talk about them a lot of experts talk about it as being another possible large uh, manufacturing hub the way that china has become you know Mexico is a lot closer than China is. And so um, as, you know, the Chinese um, population has um, become richer and richer and has been charging a higher and higher price, you know, the prices, the price of production has also increased in China. And so um, even though Mexico, I believe on standards is like has a higher middle class, or has a more established middle class. I'm not sure of the numbers there, but you know they're sort of becoming more equal in that way. So it may become more cost efficient to produce things in Mexico, um, and kind of have cheaper transportation costs um, than to produce it in China. So that's kind of something that's really interesting. But kind of the opinion it seems that Nabil is of, and that a lot of the experts that he talked with is that they think that this won't really be that big of a hit on China. Um, essentially, what they're saying is that even though it may seem that the those trade tariffs and the current situation that we're in with a pandemic are kind of these, it's almost like this perfect storm of events that are just hitting China really, really hard, Um a lot of these experts that at least Nabil, um, spoke with seem to think that in the, in the sort of, um, you know, meta view, there's a lot of geopolitical things happening that are just kind of going to continue happening and and China will remain the powerhouse that it is. Um, now I don't have a ton of information on this. It's not something that I've read into like a lot or, you know that is very thoroughly discussed in the article but essentially they're saying that it's it's already moving so fast and it's already such a strong force in manufacturing that it's it these are just kind of like very small events in comparison to that so like i said in the very beginning of the you know of this episode about my friend who went to this uh you know factory and talked to this guy who just by touching this plastic piece was able to tell him what type of plastic it is like that is serious expertise you know, that's intense and it's not so easy to replace that. So I think that that's really interesting because I myself had assumed that this was this was kind of like a really big hit, but it seems like a lot of experts are in agreement that it might not be actually that big of a hit. And so now moving on to the last part of this article, In which Nabil kind of takes in all this information and kind of talks about um, a few steps to reduce the future supply chain risk. Because, you know, however this impacts China uh, and global supply chains, it's still a good idea to take a lesson from this, learn a lesson from this, and, you know, make sure that you are more protected in the future. So if you're somebody who's in e-commerce or thinking about getting into e-commerce, this could be a really interesting thing for you to take note of, um, in order to make sure that your business is a bit more at risk proof, uh, in the future. So the very first point that Nabil talks about is to increase supply chain visibility, visibility and traceability. So like I mentioned it, you know, it's not like, you know, I have a Yeti mug here and it's not like the Yeti gets this directly from like one supplier, you know, um, that supplier that's making the, the cups for Yeti is also, also has a supplier that is maybe, uh, either, you know, producing the raw materials or parts of it or whatever. Uh, and so a lot of companies, are going to or should start to trace the entire supply chain so that they can identify possible bottlenecks and they can identify um, places where they might not be super diversified. So, for example, you know, maybe Yeti doesn't have one supplier. I'm just using Yeti as an example here. I have no idea what their manufacturing is or anything like that. But, for example, maybe Yeti has one um maybe they have two suppliers that make the actual cups, right? That they buy from. But do those two manufacturers actually get the raw materials from the same supplier, right? So that would be an issue. They, they would want to diversify that. So that's kind of the idea there is to uh, really take the time to map out the entire process, the, the entire supply chain, so that you can make sure that there, um, that there is enough diversification there. The second point is to... Um, the second point that Nabio kind of outlines here is to develop a continuity plan to mitigate future disruptions. Um, so essentially this is pretty straightforward. It's, Hey, you know, we know that maybe there is no perfect answer here, but there are weaknesses and what are those, like, how can we make sure that we have a plan if those weaknesses get exposed? Um, finding possible other suppliers, for example, if something were to happen, finding suppliers that are in a different part of the world, just sort of thinking through a few different um, case scenarios so that if the worst were to happen, you you had a plan for how to act. Um, the third point is to diversify supply chains while keeping landed costs low. Um, and so this is essentially kind of what I talked about is that um, You know, a lot of these companies that are producing things in China may find that it's cheaper to sort of bring their manufacturing closer to home uh, instead of having it in China. Think differently to think outside of the box and uncover better alternatives that have not been considered before. Uh, And that can only be a good thing because like I said, you can end up strengthening and making things better than they were before. Um, So this could essentially kind of prove to be um, a good thing going forward, at least in economic and and, in supply chain terms. So in summary, um, essentially this article talked about a lot of different, like what set us up to this? Um, What did the world kind of look like um, manufacturing wise before all this happened and how it almost got prepped in, in a way, almost like got a little bit of training before this happened. Um, and then how it can, and how COVID-19 could essentially disrupt the current, you know, global supply chains. Um, and just some of, you know, my thoughts and kind of reading it, I think that I definitely agree that the pandemic has exposed, um, some weaknesses in our overly, Chinese dependent, um, supply. I do think that, I mean, I I don't think it's a bad idea for there to be some sort of, um, sweeping, um, you know, uh, law or something like that. Like I mentioned earlier that says that, Hey, a certain percentage of our medical supplies or necessary supplies, whatever that includes are need to be produced, um, either domestically or need to have some amount of diversification across, um, different providers, right? Because, we don't want to happen. We don't want to happen. What just happened, where we find out that so much is being produced in China that China shuts down and now we can't get these um, necessities. Um, I think that also whether or not you know, like. There were essentially two ways that this was discussed in the article: that either this is going to have a huge impact on China, or it's going to have no impact at all. Um, I just I don't think that it's going to have absolutely no impact. Um, maybe it's not going to like crash China or anything like that, but I do think there's going to be companies that are going to consider um, moving at least some part of their production somewhere else. And so I think that this you know really sets up some other countries to to kind of win. Like we said, um, like I mentioned earlier, um, India and Vietnam are countries that have kind of been doing a good job of this. Mexico is a country that has been uh, talked about uh, possibly, you know, expanding their manufacturing and becoming competition for China. I also think that um, not necessarily every African country, but there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the African continent. Um, it's an, you know, it could essentially become the next china you know maybe not in 10 20 or 30 years but further down the road uh, you know they have a huge population um so lots of uh people who who can work in factories and stuff like that um they have you know sort of similar economic they're in a sort of similar economic situation to what china was before their manufacturing boom um so you know like uh low paid workers and that kind of stuff that can you know work in the factories and that kind of stuff and I just realized that, you know, kind of like the things that I maybe said in the last five minutes sound really grim and that kind of stuff, but this is kind of the reality, you know, this is why you can get an iPhone for $1,000 instead of, uh, you know, $6,000, because if it was being produced in the U.S., it would be massively, massively more expensive. So this was kind of my deep dive into this article. Again, um, I'm not an expert. I have no, like... I just enjoy reading on this topic, I enjoy watching videos on this topic um, and having conversations about it. Uh, I have no economics degree um, or anything like that, but I do think it's really interesting. And so if I've piqued your curiosity on this, definitely go and check out Nabil's article. It was really well done like I said, tons, he interviewed tons and tons of uh, experts on this. So that was, um, I definitely appreciate that. And I found it uh, very interesting. Uh, The link to that article is going to be in the show notes. So go check it out. And if you haven't yet left this um, podcast, a review, and you're enjoying uh, the episodes, head on over to your favorite podcast player and leave a review. I always appreciate it. Um, But all right, you guys, that's it for me. I will See you guys, not see you. I guess you'll hear from me uh, very soon, Monday morning. Um, Let me know, are you enjoying these two times a week podcasts? I'm really enjoying it. I'm really excited to be able to um, not only interview uh, experts, but also kind of just talk to you guys directly. So I'm really excited about that, but I'd love to hear if you're enjoying it or not. But all right, you guys, that's it from me. Um, I hope you guys are all staying safe. And uh, have a great weekend.